You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. If we haven't met, I'm John, one of the pastors here. And uh, if we have met, I'm still John, one of the pastors here. But uh, before we jump into the uh, letter of James, uh, do you know the, the word that is used most often in the New Testament for Christian? It's brother. Brother. Which is a great reminder that church is not an event to attend. But church is a family that we belong to. And that's why as you read through the New Testament, you see so many one another commands. Love one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, admonish one another. The New Testament teaches that we are a, we're joined together spiritually as a body and we cannot survive by ourselves. And that's why in the early church, for the first 300 years, they did not meet in buildings on Sunday like we do. They, they met in homes. And, and probably the fastest the church grew in history was when they were meeting in small fellowships. And that's why since the beginning of Creekside, we've always made uh, meeting in community groups uh, a foundational practice in our church. And uh, community groups meet every week. Small groups, anywhere from oh, six or seven people up to 20. We read the Bible, talk about it, we pray, we encourage each other, we eat, we have fun. Uh, and if so, if you're not in a community group, um, I'm here to nag you and uh, encourage you to get in one. If you write CG on one of those little cards and drop it in the offering slot over there, we'll get information to you about the community groups. Or you can just go directly to our website and look at community groups and, uh, and then email Rachel at creeksidecommunity.org to get more information. Anyway, I really encourage you to, to consider that. I've, I've noticed over the years that people who are regularly participating in a community group tend to read their Bibles more often, tend to pray more, tend to be more excited about Jesus, tend to serve more, tend to just be healthy spiritually because we can't do this thing on our, our own. Uh, Christianity is a team sport, not a, not a solo event. Let's pray as we uh, go into the uh, letter of James again, and uh, let's pray silently, ask, ask Jesus to speak to you through his word, and then I'll, I'll close. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said, the words I speak to you, these are spirit and life. Thank you for the word of God, which performs its work in us who believe. We pray that you'll be our teacher. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to understand, to believe, and to obey, that we might be blessed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in uh, the 1950s, an aberrant form of Christianity first appeared in the United States and then quickly spread throughout the world. It was particularly popular in poorer nations. It was called prosperity theology. And the prosperity gospel teaches that it is always God's will for all of his children to be healthy and wealthy 
if you have the faith to speak it into existence. And it is the opposite of the gospel of Jesus who taught us to follow his example by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, losing our lives so that we might find it. And about the only people who have gotten prosperous through the prosperity gospel have been prosperity preachers. But in a reaction against the prosperity gospel, I think many Christians today ignore the clear promises of God to bless people who obey him. And uh, that's what I want to talk about this morning. That's what James talks about in this passage. We're going to look at James 1, 21 through 25, how to be blessed by God. The word blessed means to receive power and favor from God for the attainment of accomplishment and productivity and protection and peace. That may involve financial blessing. It will certainly involve spiritual blessing. It it may involve physical health, it will certainly involve spiritual health. It may involve success in your career, it will certainly involve success in what God has called you to do. Years ago, a good friend of mine said, I would rather be successful than famous. And what he meant by that is, I would rather be successful in what God calls success than what our culture calls success because he'd seen too many successful, unhappy people who were trying to climb a ladder that was leaning against the wrong wall. Well, this passage we're going to look at this morning and next week as well, James 1, 21 through 25, shows us our part in being successful. And I want to start at the end of the passage because it kind of it kind of summarizes everything James says. Look, let's look at James 1.25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Literally, this man will be blessed in all his doings. James is not overselling here. He's repeating a promise that appears often in the Scriptures. When when God replaces Moses with Joshua, in Joshua 1, look what God says to Joshua. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Centuries later, King David says the same thing in the first psalm. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. 
He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So James is not going out on a limb here. He's just repeating what the whole scripture says. God says, if you will believe me and obey me, I will prosper you in all that you do. So this morning and and next week, we're going to look at verses 21 through 25, and I want to look at the three things we need to do in order to be blessed by God. First is prepare, prepare ourselves to receive God's word. Second is to plant the word in our lives, and then next week we'll talk about how to actually practice the word in our lives. So that's where we're going. This morning, we're going to spend all our time on one verse, verse 21, because that has the first two things we're supposed to do. Let's read verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Notice James says to do two things. What? There's things we need to put aside, and then we're to receive the word. We need to prepare ourselves to receive the word, and then we need to plant that word in our lives. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. But I want to start with the the first word, therefore, because it puts this command in context with where we've been. What's James been talking about? Well, let's read back in verse 18. James is talking about the goodness of God, remember? Remember? Don't be deceived about the character of God. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. When the Jews thought of the first fruits, they not only thought about the first things that were harvested, but they thought about the part of the harvest that belonged specifically to God because they were to give the first fruits to God. So he talks about the first fruit of his creatures. He's saying, God has caused us to be born again that we might be his special possessions. That's the idea. When a person becomes a Christian, he doesn't just join a religion. But the Bible says the most radical transformation possible takes place. The person we used to be literally dies and a new person is born. You look the same on the outside, but you're brand new on the inside. And in an instant of time, I I was a child of the devil. Now I'm a child of God. I was spiritually dead, separated from the source of life. Now I'm in union with Christ, alive eternally. I was a citizen of this world. Now I'm a citizen of heaven. I was a slave to sin. Now I'm a slave to righteousness. That's what happens when the Word of God and the Spirit of God creates a new life within us. We're new creations. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, just as you and I were not aware when we were conceived physically by our mom and dad, we're not aware of the moment that God creates this new life in us. 
We just know that for the first time, the gospel rings true. And we realize that we believe it. And, and pretty soon, we find changes happening in our lives, things we used to like to do, things we thought we couldn't live without, we just kind of lose interest in. They become distasteful to us. And things we never thought we'd be interested in, like reading the Bible or praying or hanging around with other Christians, we, we can't live without. And, and so James's point here is that we are born again of the Word. God creates new life within us through His Word. The Word is the seed. And just as you're born again of the Word, you grow to maturity by the Word. And so he says, This you know, my beloved brethren. Back. Thank you. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You're a new person, so you're called to live a new life. And so the old way you used to live isn't going to work anymore. So be quick to hear because you've got a lot to learn. And slow to speak because you don't know much. And slow to anger because your old habits of living do not produce the new righteous life. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains. You see how that all fits together? Now let's look at, at uh, preparing yourself. James says, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. If you've ever tried to read the Bible, you know it's a lot of trouble. Because you read and your mind wanders and you can't remember what you read, let alone what it means. And you keep looking at the clock and everything you need to do that day floods into your mind, right? And you say, why is it harder to read this book than any other book? Well, it's because the part of us that we brought in from our old life, which the Bible calls the flesh, the sin that dwells in our bodies, resists change and avoids anything of the Spirit. And the more the flesh controls my mind, the less impact the Word will have on it. And I think that James as he writes this, is remembering the first parable that Jesus taught. Remember Jesus taught a parable. He said a farmer went out to sow seeds. He sows the seed, and some of the seed falls on the hard-packed footpaths that cross the, the, uh, the field there, and it just sits there on the footpath until the birds eat it up. And some of the seed falls among rocks, and it springs up quickly because there's, it's shallow. But as soon as the sun comes out, it wilts and dies. And some of the seed falls among weeds, and the weeds choke the little plants so they can't bear fruit. And some falls on the good cultivated soil of the field and goes deep and bears much fruit. And, and then later, the disciples came and said, what were you talking about? And so Jesus explains the parable to them. And he, says, he says, well, the seed is the word of God, because that's what produces life. And the hard-packed path are people who hear the word and they don't understand what it is and they can immediately forget about it. And this, the seed that falls to the rock, these are people that, 
receive the word with joy, but as soon as any problems occur because of the word, they walk away from it. And the seed that falls on the weeds, these are people that, that the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things, all the distractions of the world choke out the word and it brings no fruit to maturity. But, but the good soil is the cultivated soil, the soil that takes the word deep and holds it fast and bears fruit. And, and, and I think that's what, what James is remembering here, is that before the word can have its effect of blessing me, I have to prepare, I have to cultivate the soil of my heart. That's the idea here. Remember, the big problem in this church is double-mindedness. Remember that? And double-mindedness is just a desire to please God and please the world. The double-minded person just won't take a stand. Whatever seems to be the best thing for him at the moment, that's what he'll do. And James warned us, let not that man think he'll receive anything from God being a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. God will not teach us until we're ready to obey. And if we haven't already obeyed what we already know, we're not going to learn anymore. That's the idea here. So James says, because you've been born again of the word, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Before I can receive the word, I need to put aside, well, filthiness is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's the things in each of our lives that we wouldn't want anybody else to know about. Sexual stuff. Financial stuff. Um, fantasies, hatred, bigotry, bitterness, all, all that stuff. In fact, it's interesting, the word that, that James uses for filthiness was literally earwax. And not just because it's filthy, but because if you have a lot of earwax, you can't hear very well. And so what he's saying is, you got to take the wax out of your ears before you can hear God's word. That's the idea here. That makes sense? Now, you might think, well, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for many years. And there's some, certainly nothing filthy in me. If you don't delight in the word of God, you're fooling yourself. This really came home to me uh, my second year on staff with Campus Crusade at Cal. I, at the time... I considered myself a spiritual giant. Um, after all, I was the most committed Christian I knew. I had left everything to follow Jesus and go to Cal, and, and uh, I'd led a number of students to Christ, and the students thought I was a man of God, so I thought I must be. Until our staff team took a week off to go to a spiritual growth conference. And... I realized how shallow my actual commitment to Christ really was and how, how little progress I'd really made since I'd become a Christian. And, and during that time, God used a passage from the book of Job, of all places, to really reveal my heart to myself. Now, if you know anything about Job, Job is basically bad advice. That's what the book of Job, 
The book of Job is Job's three friends and another young know-it-all telling Job what he needs to do because he's suffering. And it's all wrong because they have no idea why Job is suffering. The passage that spoke to me was from one of Job's friends named Zophar, one of the favorite names today for people to call their kids. Um, you may know it as Zoe, but it's actually Zophar. But Zophar's advice to Job, it was bad advice for Job. It was good advice for me. And I want, I want you to see what he says. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove unrighteousness far from your tent and place your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks, then the Almighty will be your gold and choice silver to you. And what I heard that saying is, if I have gold, stuff I value, stuff I delight in, more than I delight in God. I will not delight in God until I get rid of that stuff, until I put that stuff aside. Well, for me, now this is back before the earth cooled and so there was no internet or smartphones, but we did have media. We had magazines and newspapers. I know some of you have never seen those things, but <laughs> magazines, newspapers, television, movies and music, and those things, I enjoyed those things far more than I enjoyed the Scripture. And, and so what God was saying is, if you want to be a man of God, if you want to know the Scriptures, if you want to be blessed by me, you need to put those things aside. And I did. I went on a fast for a year and just stopped reading newspapers and magazines and watching television and, and stuff like that, and, and I began to delight in the Word of God. And the Word, I began to understand it. It began to make sense. It began to transform my life, and the joy and the strength I got from that were so, was so profound that I could go back to some of those things later on without them affecting me because they could not substitute for what I got from God. That's the idea. My real spiritual growth didn't begin until I prepared the soil of my heart and began to remove the stuff that was making me deaf to what God had to say to me through the word. And that's why David says in Psalm 119.101, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. Want to be blessed by God? What do you need to put aside? Do you think that if you ask Jesus, he'd tell you? And let's, let's ask him right now. Let's just pray silently and say, Lord, if there's anything I need to put aside, bring it to mind, and I'll do it because I want to be blessed by you. Let's pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Amen. We're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about repentance. 
We're talking about moving from peaceful coexistence with sin to warfare. To prepare our hearts, to, to cultivate our hearts, to pull out the weeds, to take out the rocks so that we can plant the word. Now, that brings us to the second step, and that is plant. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Why does James say that the word is able to save your souls? I thought he was already talking to save people. I thought he was already talking to born-again people, people on their way to heaven. So why does he say that the word has the potential to save your souls to people who are already saved? In the Bible, salvation is used in three different ways. The Bible talks about salvation as something that's already happened. By grace, you have been saved by faith. You could think of that as being saved from the penalty of our sins. When we come to Christ and we put our faith in his death, burial, and resurrection in our behalf, God forgives all of our sins. He promises your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. He clothes us in Christ's righteousness as if every good thing Jesus did, we did. We are perfect and holy in his sight. That's past salvation, and that will never change. But the Bible also talks about salvation in the present sense of something that God not only has saved us, but he is saving us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for his God who is at work in you, both the will and work for his good pleasure. Even though all my sins are forgiven, sin still lives in my body and is still trying to reign over me. And so God not only has released me from the penalty for my sins, he is presently daily releasing me from the power of sins. You see? And that's the kind of salvation that James is talking about. He's talking about how the word of God frees me Daily from the power of sins. It releases my soul from bondage to sin. How does sin work in our lives? Sin works through lies. We obey sin not because we have to, because God's already freed us from its power, but because we continue to believe its lies. Look what Jesus says. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, the people who heard him thought he was talking about political freedom. But he said, he who commits sin is a slave of sin. Who's a slave of sin? Everybody who sins. If, therefore, the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So Jesus says, it is the word of God that frees us from the power of sin because the word of God shows us the truth. And if we saw life the way God, God sees life, we would never sin. But we are we're deceived. Well, that's what James means 
when he says, the word of God which is able to save your souls. It is the truth of the word that sets us free from sin. Now, the other form of, of salvation is future salvation. If we've been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. God saves us from the penalty, has saved us from the penalty of our sins, is saving us from the power of sin, and one day will save us from the very presence of sin when he takes us into eternity and saves us from the wrath that will fall upon this sinful world. Does that make sense? So we're talking about present-day salvation being saved from the power of our sins. How does that happen? Well, he says in humility. Listen, we're going to stay on that verse for a while. In humility, receive the word implanted. I, I'm sorry, you can go to the next one. I was wrong. In humility, receive. Why humility? Why humility? Because unless I come to the word humbly as a student, knowing that God knows what I don't know, I can't learn a thing. And that means that when God and I disagree, I assume God is right. When God and my culture disagree, God is right. When God and my feelings or my experience disagree, God is right. That's what humility is. Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so if I want to learn from his word, I have to come with the attitude of a student. Lord, I don't understand this. I need you to teach me. And so if I find myself saying, well, I don't agree with that, or, this is too hard to understand. I, I quit. Or, oh yeah, I've already read this part. There's nothing here for me. Or, well, this was obviously written for far more primitive people than we are. I know that pride has taken over the wheel, and I need to, again, humble myself and say, Lord, I don't really get this. Please teach me. And I found every time, I disagree with God all the time. And, because uh, I'm an idiot. But, <laughs> But whenever I hang in there and I say, God, I don't understand this, but I know you do. and how, Those have led to the richest lessons I've learned from the scriptures. When I finally see how God puts it all together, and I finally say, wow, only God could have come up with that. So in planting the word, it's very important that we come with an attitude of humility. In humility, receive the word implanted. Let's not skip over the word. Christian books will not change your life. Christian music will not change your life. Sermons will not change your life. Books about the Bible will not change your life. Only the word of God has the power to change your life. And if you're not planting the word, you're trying to live on junk food. And there is a profound difference between Christians who have spent their lives reading Christian books and listening to Christian sermons and Christians who have spent their lives planting the word of God in their lives. This is where the power is. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's how God... That's not to diminish. I mean, you're here to listen to a sermon on the word. That's great. But this is fluff. What's really going to change your life is doing the hard work of planting the word deep in you. 
That's what changes. That's where the power is. That's where you begin to experience the, the presence of Jesus in your life. So it's humility, it's the word, and finally it is the word implanted. That's, that's more than a 10 minutes over coffee every morning. Look what David says. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. The Bible has no promises for Bible study. It has many promises for Bible meditation. Meditate just means to chew on, to think about, to go over in your mind over and over and over again. Because that's what changes your life. That's what plants the word deep in you. To meditate means you have to memorize. I mean, imagine Jesus' temptation when Satan tempts him and says, if you're the son of God, turn the stone into bread. And Jesus says, I know there's a verse about that somewhere. Let me look at my scroll here, right? If Jesus had done that, we'd, still, we'd be going to hell. This thing never would have worked. Jesus had memorized the Bible so he can say, it is written. It is written. It is written. For the last year or so, I have really focused on memorizing, meditating, and then, most importantly, answering temptation with the scriptures that I've, I've memorized. And I've never had the peace of mind, the clarity of thought that I have now. I've really been focusing on fear because the thing I've noticed as you get older, you get more fearful because more stuff starts going wrong with you. And, and you can worry. All, I just wanted to defeat worry. And it has worked incredibly well because I've just memorized lots of passages on worry and fear. And so whenever I'm tempted to fear, I pull up those things and, and those fears disappear. And they're gone. And there's just a sense of God's presence. If, if you can uh, remember your phone number, you can memorize you, have, you do have a memory. You remembered to come here today. That, that memory just needs to be trained. And if it takes you a month to, to memorize one verse, okay, that's fine. But memorize it and then be thinking about it and then meet the temptation of lies by replacing them with the truth of what you've memorized. Does that make sense? Christ works in our lives through his word. He blesses our lives through his word. When I became a Christian, I, uh, uh, my life changed rapidly, and it was almost like I, I wasn't doing it. It was like things I used to really enjoy doing, I, I stopped doing, and uh, I began to want to do good things, and I made the mistake of thinking that's the normal Christian life. That's just the way it's going to be. I, I don't have to do anything. Jesus does it all. I just get to sit back and watch. And, and that worked for a month. And then sin made a return engagement, 
And I began to have the same old temptations as ever with the added guilt now that I felt bad about doing it that I didn't feel bad about before. And I remember as in college, and I was walking across campus, and I was pretty down because I just, you know, Jesus had become less and less a reality to me. Sin had become more and more of a reality to me. And I was down, and I ran into my buddy Greg Knapp, and Greg was the most on-fire Christian I knew, and we were walking to our classes together, and he, he said, how you doing? You know, and, and, uh, and I said, I tried, I started saying, yeah, I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm really struggling spiritually, and, you know, moaning and groaning, and and Greg, Greg was a strong Christian. He just wasn't the most sensitive Christian. And he said, he said well, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. See ya. And, and, uh, but that was all I needed to hear. I said, the word of God. Huh. I wonder if that has anything to do with the Christian life. And so I began to go to campus an hour early every day and went up in the library and sat in a hidden little corner and just read and studied my Bible and wrote things down. And I found Christ became more and more of a reality, and sin became less and less of a reality. The Bible is the way God works in our lives. Everything the New Testament says the Holy Spirit does, it says the Bible does because the Bible is the sword of the Spirit, is the instrument of the Spirit. And if I divorce myself from the Bible, I am effectively divorcing myself from God. I've left the phone turned off. And so the first two steps in, in being blessed by God is one is prepare your heart for the Word. If there are if there are things you know are wrong and God wants you to stop doing and you keep doing, you're not going to get anything out of the Word. Sin will keep you from the Word or the Word will keep you from sin. You can't have it both ways. And then begin to systematically plant that Word in your heart. Now, next week we'll talk about the third thing, which is the rarest thing of all among Christians, and that is to actually practice what we learn. And we're going to talk about how do you do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that we're saved as we believe the gospel. We believe that, that Jesus came and died in our behalf and rose to give us eternal life, and we put our trust in that, and then we grow by the word as we daily come and learn from you and plant the word in our lives. Lord, make us people the word. I pray as David prayed, may those who fear you see us and be glad because we wait for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.